0: Pitching a old Elquidex pre Oracle acquisition <laughs> from years ago. And i, a off, bit of you died. I
1: to you,
2: Hello and welcome to episode 102 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing, and F is about you, besides You're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this weekly podcast says it's my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career from techie to CMO, and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and a proud member of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode is recorded on Friday the 18th of February. Hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe, and staying the same as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff Clark and I will kick off a new series we're calling the Five F-In Marketing Fundamentals. I chat with Mind Tickle CMO Chris Lynch about his career and sales enablement, and I will, of course, wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first... We need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be
3: right back. For this
0: work, we'll be right
3: back. This work.
0: You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy.
2: Right, onto our first segment. My chum Jeff Clark is a former research director at Serious Decisions Forrester and is a sought after marketing strategy advisor. And this week, we enter the fray of marketing models with a suggestion of our own. (laughs) Hello, Jeff. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing very well jolly good jolly good we've enjoyed two weeks of you being interviewed uh, i had to split it over those two weeks uh, <laughs> sorry if i got a bit long-winded <laughs> well i got some good feedback so i think uh, i think people enjoyed that conversation and what i think i need to do is stitch it back up again and then release it as one whole Ooh, thing for people to want to yeah yeah, I might do that on our brand-new YouTube channel that are, currently has one video on it, but I'll <laughs> look at that. All right, so this week we're going to do a little bit of a reset. So we've been talking about marketing education, and I think what was interesting uh, uh, prior to our interview is we were talking about the five thing, five, <laughs> five P. Oh, there were five, there, we, were and four, the there, were seven, there were four, there were seven. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and we were going to look at some other models of what it is that people need to think about. And then I thought, why not? Why don't we get involved in the whole business of, of numbers and things, right? Yes. So if we were to invent our own five effing fundamentals of marketing, which I think is what we'd need to call it, what would they be? What say you, Jeff? And that's what's going to kick off the next series for the next five weeks, six weeks. Because we got to dig into
1: each, each of them. I, I, it, if we get to five, let's see, let's see if we can get to five
3: well that that's <laughs> uh,
1: and that and that's the plan really,
3: is yeah, really. You...
2: oh that's right <laughs> oh there's a
3: sixth oh I this
2: <laughs> no i think i think we need to keep it down to i think we need to keep it down to five i mean when um when we were looking at the four p's it turned into five p's and seven p's and eight p's i think they were getting a bit carried away so I that's think, right
1: i think Cause we should because we all know that the so, human brain can only remember up to seven <laughs> and then after that it's all exactly yeah so, and it does it does depend on the human brain. I'm not even sure if really I right. remember. <laughs> <Hopefully, laughs> All right, hopefully we. Were and also, to you I was yeah.
2: the thing I was also thinking about was um, if if we were forming our marketing band and going on to what would these you know if we can make some kind of rock star analogy from that. Wow,
1: cool! I think that's so wicked cool. Uh, where should we start? Yeah, well, I you know, and I think that I just I mean the other thing just to, uh, to uh, as as the premise is that you know we got we got onto this um, sort of marketing education uh, yeah. bandwagon because you know there are um, you know it's, there's very little formal educ actually there's very little formal education that's required in marketing because as we Absolutely. both came from different disciplines and then mm. and we everybody we work with you know I mean there are very few yeah. that got a marketing degree along with their business degree or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, um, I think it's important for um, CIOs and marketing leaders to say, you know, if we got to get everybody on the same page and understand the kind of the key things that people should at least have an appreciation for in mm-hmm. our marketing department, what would they be? And that's th- kind of what I said. Yes, it Probably is. Five well, yes. fundamentals. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was, I mean, the, the thing about like the seven Ps was all about the marketing mix, which which is, yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, it's really interesting, yeah, but it, it's, it's but it, but again, it's like, you know, and, and so we could be teaching our our team about the seven Ps, yes, that alone right. may not give them the, the um, sort of the basis for um, understanding, or again, it's kind of what the role of each Of sort of more of the skill sets are that, that, that come into a marketing department. And so, so, so where I would start and, you know, which I think is when you think back to the fifties and sixties marketing was almost solely about branding. Mm. And, and, and I think that that's, you know, that's just, you know, defining the story of the brand and the, and the, uh, you know, kind of where the starting point is. And if we, if we take it to our rock band analogy, it's kind of like defining mm-hmm. the sound, like, who are we? Yeah. Are we, you know, are we, a, are we the new punk band from Birmingham? Are we the, you yeah. know, uh, are we the glam band from New York? Are we, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and obviously you can get, you know, I mean, it, it's gotta be a little bit more um, uh, organic <laughs> than just kind of yeah, creating yeah. something, but, but it's really important, you know, to me, when you boil branding down to its fundamental, it's like there's the name of the work company, and 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 or the logo, and then what's the attribute you're trying to project, mm-hmm. or you know what you know that whether it's been assigned by the customer base or whether you're trying to, yeah. you, you got to define it. You got to understand what that is, and then you know you want to you want to make sure, hey man, this is our sound, this mm-hmm. is what this is how we're going to you know project our our, our image. And yeah. and I think everyone in marketing needs to know the importance of that, or both the importance of de- defining pretty precisely what it is, and then being able mm-hmm. to project it consistently. Because if you don't do that, what goes wrong is you know you can confuse the customer. Yeah, the team doesn't you know the, the cliche doesn't sing off the same song sheet, and yeah. and 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 if you get dissension about well I think you know I think and you know. Given that I think we were both in a lot of companies that were, yep. you know, had been around for a while, that were either trying to reinvent themselves or, you know, mm-hmm. move into a different market. Then you get this tension about, well, you know, we're this is what we're known for, but that's not what we want to be known yeah. for. How do we make the move? That's yeah. gotta be Transition. a very, you know, a very um
3: mm-hmm.
2: Well, I like that, and these and the music analogies don't stop coming with this. I love the fact you're saying the team is singing from the same song sheet. I like that, but also that defining the sound because I think if we were a band and we were forming a band and we decided we're going to be a punk band, you have to be authentically punk right, right, right. <laughs> you can't you can't pretend to be punk or anything like that, so it has to run through and then your point about trying to change your brand and move forward it's like these the, you know like a band that's been around for twenty years uh when you go and see them in concert you want to hear the hits right yeah. you don't want to hear their new stuff you want right. to hear the hits and, so and, how and do you as a band and, and transition and
1: there's, and there's very few bands that successfully go from you know we were the pop yeah. band and now we're into the blue yeah. you know now we're into this and this and you know yeah i mean you, we can count yeah. them probably on a hand of those who have been able to yeah. be successful doing that yeah
2: yeah so that's the first one that's that number one do. so branding or defining the sound defining who we
1: are as a band yeah so what what yeah. will be the second of our five i, I would put number second and, and these these kind of go in some sort of i don't know if it's it's a <laughs> I'd say logical order but i would say market yeah. research so mm-hmm. so you know when when a company gets started they have to do a lot of research and do you know who's a yeah. you know, what are we going to create who's a buyer what's the need and stuff like that and that, that's kind of a continuous process and and you know, really everything we want to do in marketing, we need to be able to know who we're talking to. We need to know um, yeah. what their needs are, what their why. Mean, these are there's some issues we've talked about on and on and on. Yeah. And 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 it's like, you know, it's like things change over time. So you constantly need to be going into third party, first party research, testing things, understanding what works and what doesn't. And you and I think what's really important is you want to make sure everybody in marketing should be empowered to do the research that makes their work yeah. more effective so if i'm if i'm uh you know if I'm running email <clears throat> tactics and yeah. you know, as part of a larger campaign and and obviously I can look at my click through rates and my you know some of my uh, my own metrics, but I really should be looking yeah. at well does this audience do they react to email you know so for getting into understanding who they are where they where they go for information where's email important what types of Mm -hmm. email length you know all these things you know types of offers etc it's like you want to you want to give that person the freedom to say you know go spend some time to figure out what what really is going to work right because otherwise we start executing blindly which is yeah, my experience yeah. is too often the case is where you just okay we got a, we got a campaign we're going to hit go we're just going to create stuff we're going to blast it out yeah. create was created by an agency it's got to be good and yeah. you know what you don't want to do is be um singing to the empty bar halls so you, you yeah. need to know so you got to know something about your audience that you want to play to where it is that people like to listen to this particular peculiar bunch of punk band <laughs> that we decide we are and yeah. what and I, well, I was going to say, and you—you're probably about to ask me this, but the—the the yeah. musical analogy, at least I thought for this, was kind of the muse. So,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, the muse is what is it that's inspiring us to be able to create mm-hmm. that piece that connects with our audience, and—and yeah. uh, and yeah. the muse, you can look at it as being something that uh, pops up, kind of in, from inside, or—or or, you know, if—if yeah. if you want to do a better job at it, you probably should do your yeah. research. <laughs> yeah i think there's a, there's a there's a good so
2: so we so we're, we're branding or so we so number one is, is branding defining the sound that we are then we've got our market research the muse of 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 is there an audience for this kind of punk craziness that we're going to put together and um, what's your third one yeah
1: Com- is communications and mm. and communications both what how you communicate who in your organization influencers and and how they're telling the story so this is kind of like you know, we got to write some material. Of course, we could be a cover yeah. band, so we're basing ourselves on <laughs> other other people's <laughs> material. But even if we're, if we're even if we're a cover band, we got to figure I'm, out how we're you know how yeah. are we telling the story different from whoever yeah. the original songwriter was. But yeah. but you know, you've got to you know, I mean, this is it. You're telling the story, so it's mm-hmm. songwriting. It's the vocalists. It's the yeah. and, and and it's actually and it's the music as well. I mean, it's not just. Spoken part of this, but it it's you know, mm-hmm. you know who's playing what instrument, um, you know, uh, um, you know, and, and also if we get really good at this, how are we going to make sure that other bands cover our tunes uh, so <laughs> we can make some money on the royalties? But yeah, but you know, it's and, and and you know this because you you know you're a you're a content marketer at heart, and it's like mm-hmm. you need to understand the value of storytelling and how it connects, mm. you know, your audience's need to your value proposition. Tied supporting your brand promise. And, you know, and, and so, and if you don't, if, if people within marketing don't understand the importance of this, then, you know, you just Mm. don't, you just, you're just firing stuff off. You're not really engaging customers. You might have some great messages that fall on deaf ears because it really wasn't what they wanted to hear right uh and and, and it wasn't actually I'd say it wasn't tell- told in a way that really engages them, which that's the yeah. you know we've we've figured our brand out, we've got our muse, mm-hmm. now we gotta figure out how we connect to the audience with an engaging story
3: mm.
2: so
1: so this is different then from the branding
2: then uh, in terms of um that we've decided to be a punk band and but we're now putting we're fleshing this out of what it is that we actually want to say as a band that yeah. we actually you know what we want to, and what the individual songs will say right yeah so of course the, you know a punk band i can just say
1: that i'm you know i don't know yeah I'm, i have a teenage angst and i'm crying and, yeah yeah you know, blah 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 yeah. and i can't, I can't understand so, the lyrics anyway anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: So this is the songwriting, then the the individual song. and is it also is this also the if we think about it as cons and influencers and stuff like that, is this also not just the songs but also the publishing of the music or are we just thinking about the songs at this point?
1: I think we're well. I think it's also the yeah, it's the publishing of it because again, if you're yeah. working with your influencers, you know you you, yeah. you you're going to basically create a story that somebody else is going to pick up, you know, this is the, the, the Holy grail of thought leadership. We've come up with something that somebody else is going to echo because those guys really know, you know, how to, how to solve this particular problem that everyone's having out there. And so I'm going to value what, you know, ABC company does because they're the Mm -hmm. best punk band uh, and Mm they have got the best product. Oh, we've just written the latest American
2: classic for the American songbook or whatever. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, I've noticed that you keep coming back to punk bands. Uh, well, I don't know. You said at the beginning we were a punk band. I'm just trying to sing from your song sheet. Right? I, mean, I know we did a little bit of prep, I, don't know, I was, like, more, some I of was it. more
1: new wave in that era than <laughs> punk. Ah, uh,
2: yeah, no, me, me too. All right, so
1: uh, what's the fourth?
2: So uh, fourth
1: is... I think are the cycles, the customer life mm-hmm. cycle, the buying cycle, the sales cycle um right and and you know it's like you know every every song needs to you know figure out what's the what's the you know arc of the the story that we're engaging um yeah. the the audience and what's kind of the the rhythm where, where where are we yeah. where are we you know trying to um understand where in a particular cycle they are so that we're actually communicating the right thing. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it relates a lot to the, the storytelling we were talking about in with uh, yeah. with communications, but it's really more about, we know things happen in cycles. We know things, you know, every process yeah. that a customer goes through, has a rhythm to it. How do we make yeah. sure we're, we're executing at the right point in, in, um, in connecting with them. And, and marketers, I mean, what I think this is important for all marketers to understand is that, mm-hmm. you know, you'd use different engagement tactics and different content at different stages and different, yeah. you know, and, and so everything yeah, has yeah. got this this different rhythm to it that, that if you, if you yeah. don't get it right, you, you know, you really, uh, I mean, your, your yeah. performance of all of your tactics and everything suffers and basically you're not going to get the kind of outcomes you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. Like start with a slow song at the beginning of the evening and start at the end. <laughs> <You'll find out. laughs> yes, this, this would be, you know, like the set list. I mean, is a perfect as yeah. as somebody who yeah. played in a band. It's just like the yeah. first song of the set's got to be high energy, and then we figure out how to yeah. work in the complex stuff, and then we end with a high energy because yeah. we know we got to send them off to the uh, to get a drink, you know, feeling good. Uh, yeah, and so uh, so yeah. But if we were thinking about this as individual songs, it would be the beat. Because also, I was thinking
2: about. Um, uh, when you were saying that, it's and I think people are gonna like start turning off for, for all the rock star <laughs> song analogies that we're coming <laughs> out with here because there's just many of them. But it's being in I don't can't even say it out loud, it's being in harmony with your buyer, right? It's oh my like, gosh, be, that's right, be in harmony with buyer, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so having that cadence of communication, or whatever you're doing, and make and, and having that in 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 harmony with what your buyer needs or wants at that particular time, right? Absolutely, absolutely, splendid. Right, so that's four. So what so we're doing? well. I think we are going to have uh, five. I think well, I we're going to hit gonna have five. We're going to hit five because that's what you—that's what you told me. to <laughs> no. Yeah. But, but, plus, <laughs> oh, I know dude. you prepared. So, so we've defined the sound. We've defined who we are with this. Uh, we're now a new wave band. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we've we've found our inspiration and our muse from our market research, and we've written the next great american song for the american songbook with our communications and we've decided how we're going to publish that and what channels and we're in harmony with our buyer with our customer life cycle buying cycles and sales cycles what's our fifth what possibly could be our fifth
1: operations because i think Ah, and 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 this this is a broad bucket term you're marketing operations and and Mm. you know, certainly that's where I had a lot of my personal experience in, Absolutely. in um, but it's like the tech, the process, the data, mm. the, the, you know, what tech do we need? How do we get the sound yeah. right? What's the process to record, to play live, hit, you know, get on a tour right. what, you know, you know, are we outsourcing certain skills and there, there's more than the band. And so, you know, we might've got yeah. our five piece band together, but, you know to do anything, we need a producer, we need we need a crew for the production. Yeah. we need you know engineers, we need roadies, uh, yeah and and so, I mean, I think you know one of the things in and obviously, as I said, there's a lot of, a lot of elements to this, but I think that it's really important for marketers to understand the kind of the underpinnings of processes and data that flow. Uh in 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 the execution of any set of marketing campaigns is that there's this Uh this this work that has to happen to make everything execute well together and um and technology is certainly part of this because you know you Uh you could buy a piece of tech or you could silo your data off and all of a sudden you're you're breaking the process that is going to turn your you know your band that had the one hit wonder and you're Uh trying to you're trying to get a the, the next hit or you know Put the yeah. album out or get on the streaming yeah. service or get your act on the road. And if yeah. you don't really coordinate the efforts around, around tech process and data, then, you yeah. know, you're just not going to be effective. You're not going to be efficient. And, yeah. and um, you know, and you'll, you'll, you'll just burn out because, you know, you didn't understand what were the, all the mechanisms that required to support a
2: marketing right.
3: function.
1: Right, right. So you you could you come up with a great song and you've
2: got a great band and you're singing, but you're in your mum's ba- basement and <laughs> yes, <not> really, right. <laughs> yeah, you, you you've not gotten much further than that because you haven't set up uh, the channels or the yeah. way of recording or haven't got the equipment and all that kind of good stuff. But I think that's a uh, yeah. So that and is that is is so is that like because I I've, there was actually um, somebody wrote an article like this for Rockstar a couple of years ago that was comparing. Um, comparing i think it was um a, a product managers to to roadies you know the people that are doing the heavy lifting and product marketers um but you'd say that this is like the marketing operations guys that are setting up the mixed decks that the producers
1: the crew the roadies and all that kind of yeah. stuff. the people that are going to help is, us this is take this
2: on tour right yeah yeah let's yeah, get yeah, our act right, together no, and good. put
1: it on the road and uh, yeah and it's i mean, it, I mean it's just as you know if you if you watch any of um you know, these like sort of rock documentaries, you know, digging into the, yeah. like the Beatles get back or anything where you're digging yeah. into what actually happened to put something out that, you know, it's like, oh, there's this nice little tune and I really like it and like the band. Yeah. And, blah. and then you realize everything that went into that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if the guys just sat in your, or guys and gals sat in your living room and played it, you know, it's like that might be great. But actually to make something mm-hmm. work commercially, yeah. you know, you just have have to have, the people, process, technology, nail down. Yeah, yeah.
2: No, I think that's excellent. So we've got our five effing marketing fundamentals and... It's a shame we couldn't get them all to start with F, but I know we tried. <laughs> so, we, so I could just put F in, in front of everything, F in branding. Oh, right. so, get your so F and brand got, together. <laughs> so, we've got, um, so we've got branding, defining the sound, we've got market research, that's our muse and our inspiration. We've got our communications, our influences, our songwriting, our, our, our getting it out there. Uh, getting in harmony with the buyer through the customer life cycle, buying and sales cycles, and finally marketing operations, the crew, the producer, the roadies. And now we're going to – that's the next five weeks, right? We're going to talk about these five. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So listeners, see what you subscribe subscribed to. We're going to now go into these and try and – Beware. You, you might <laughs> learn
1: something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or, well, you'll certainly learn a load of uh, very lame musical languages. That's <laughs> <She says> right. <her. laughs> me. All right, so we got to finish this with a, a recommendation of a song from you, Jeff. What are what, we going to go with? This you know, one? this
1: this was a tough one. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's got to hit it's got to hit on so many mm-hmm. different levels. So, uh, picked The Fundamental Thing by Bonnie Raitt from 1998. uh song with a great groove, good message. Mm-hmm. It says Fundamental. I think it's about I think <laughs> yeah. it's about love, but you know, most of her songs were about love. So, um, that's not bad. I'll go with that
2: one. And I have to confess I think the only option I came up with was uh, was Take Five by Dave Brubeck, which would have taken us to 1959. So I think we've done <laughs> quite well with. <laughs> well, it would have taken us. It certainly is not new wave or punk. So um... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I have to confess that because I used to be, usually make fun of you. So we'll close with uh, Fundamental Things by Bonnie Raitt from 1998. And you're going to join us again next week And we'll kick off with branding all the uh, yeah,
1: Let's start with brands, brands.
2: Defining our sound And what is this ba- crazy band That we're creating going to be about We'll see Thank you very much Jeff uh, See you next week Thank you
3: Cheers, Let's run naked through the city street We're all victims of captivity Where our madness Crucifix. Let's tattoo Bible quotes, across both our hips
2: Thank you, Jeff. So that was The Fundamental Things by Bonnie Raitt from 1998. Again, not a track I was familiar with, and the music selections here are nothing if not eclectic. Let us know what you think of this new series. If you have any suggestions, get in touch. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, or email us at hello at rockstarcmo.com. Right, on to my guest, Chris Lynch is the Chief Marketing Officer at Sales Readiness Platform, MindTickle. Chris oversees all global marketing functions, including product marketing, demand, gen, brand, and creative. As you'll hear, he has deep experience in product positioning and messaging, go-to-market strategies, and the alignment of marketing with sales objectives. Before joining MindTickle, Chris was the CMO at direct-to-consumer apparel brand Kuyu, where he built a team focused on data-driven strategies and customer engagement. Previously, Chris was the CMO at Cision, where he led a global team and pioneered a new approach to messaging and campaign development, culminating in Cision's IPO. Prior to that, Chris had senior marketing roles at Oracle, Badgeville, TIBCO, and Social Tech. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I certainly do. Hi, Chris. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm well, Ian. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. And for people that uh, don't know you, Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: So I've had a career in B2B marketing now for over a decade. Um, You know, interestingly, I kind of got into it by happenstance. I had started in the professional world way back when as a journalist. I had been covering technology business and sort of got really embedded in the world of Silicon Valley, started through my contacts, started talking to a lot of different companies. And so found my way into the world of marketing, um, really kind of by accident, to be completely honest. But realizing that I had those storytelling capabilities in my background, um, I just sort of realized that some of the similar skill sets would apply, you know, being able to kind of talk to different types of roles and people inside Mm -hmm. of the company, it reminded me a lot of working on stories where I was talking to different sources and then figuring out different ways to translate those stories externally.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I I saw that in your background, and as we sort of get to know each other, that your background is actually as a writer, right?
0: That's right. Um, It's a writer, and then specifically coming out of college, I decided that I really wanted to pursue a niche in technology. You know, at the Mm -hmm. time, even back then, media was declining uh, at a pretty rapid rate. It was being disrupted very heavily by you know, everything moving to the internet and newspapers and magazines and everyone sort of figuring out what that was all going to look like. And so in my journalism school, it was sort of a dime a dozen of people who wanted to go into politics, into sports, some of the more in those times, it was still more sexy to kind of go into those areas, right? That's mm-hmm. the stuff you saw on TV or that everyone, yeah. the general populace would read about the most. I was like, well, I want to go try something different where I feel like there's a lot of growth still. Mm-hmm. So I ended up in technology. But relative to your question, I think what what ended up happening was I realized that I had a knack for sort of sitting at the intersection of the sales and marketing and go-to-market functions and the engineering and product functions. So Mm -hmm. while I wasn't a technologist by background, I would sort of apply some of the skills I had to understand a lot of technology conceptually from engineering product types, but then translate it into something that I felt anyone could understand. And so first getting into marketing a little bit by happenstance, but then getting into product marketing sort of ended up becoming this natural extension because I realized that I could kind of sit and straddle those two worlds effectively. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you've answered a couple of the questions I was going to ask there cause you had a great career with Tipco, Oracle and Sisyon, I think is the way you pronounce it. Um, and you, you came into that from your, your writer's background and you, you, you spent some time in product marketing. I like that point you were making there. Is that what you learned from product marketing? So I've got product marketing background as well. And it mm. is that interpretation is it's that translation of product features and functions and stuff into what the customer cares about. Is that what you found in, in that experience?
0: Absolutely. So one of the things I learned about product marketing very quickly is that so much messaging that exists in the marketing world kind of exists on this spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. You have the more brand-oriented, lighter, um, value-oriented messaging that you'll see coming out of a lot of companies. and That's super important. Um, you got to get that right. You have to nail that. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you also have the more heavyweight product feature functions, speeds and feeds types yeah. of messaging, at least as we're talking about tech marketing. Yeah. And what I kind of found was with product marketing, you have to find a bit of an equilibrium relative to Yes, you need to demonstrate value to prospects and customers. Yes, you want to deliver an insightful idea or story to them. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, customers do want to know what you do. And I yeah, think that's yeah. sometimes a jarring thing for yeah. how many times in like your sales and marketing life have people said, well, I'm a, re- I'm a relationship person or I'm a value person. And yeah. I actually don't think that's quite enough to thrive yeah. anymore. You do have to have some insight about... Um, the products, the competitive landscape at the appropriate time. And so um, that was very much my experience with product marketing. And then I think the other thing that was interesting for me or where I sort of got an additional specialty in product marketing was really in the world of portfolio marketing. So when I was at Oracle, I was running global product marketing for the marketing cloud business unit. And then right. that was a highly acquisitive business unit. We, we mm-hmm. bought Eloqua Responses, yeah. a variety of marketing tech mm-hmm. providers. And there was going to be heavy work on our product and engineering organization there to integrate, pull that stuff yeah. together. But ahead of that, um, my job was sort of to be the chief storyteller. Of Absolutely. Talk about all of those things coming together. What's the vision for that? even ahead of some of that being delivered yeah. from a roadmap perspective. And so that um, I feel like in a lot of ways ended up being the MBA I never got. Um, <laughs> because it was a really complex business landscape to kind of triangulate between engineering, sales, and the rest of the marketing organization. Um, but it was a lot of fun and I think we did a pretty good job of it.
2: Yeah, I, I, I love what you were talking about there and the, the, the fact that People are getting a bit carried away, I guess, with, I mean, B2B has a reputation for just talking about features and functions. Mm-hmm. And then there are people that are saying, you should just tell stories people buy from, you know, from, from the story you tell. Um, but you're right. As the, custom, the customer, you need to map that against the customer journey. And as it gets deeper in, they're going to want to know what the features and functions are, right? Yeah, absolutely. And making that coherent. I love that. Um, but right now, you're a mind tickle. Um, tell us, I I'll, I'll this around. Tell us a little bit about what MindTickle does, because I can't say the name without you explaining what it is that product does, because it's got such a great name.
0: <laughs> sure, no, no problem. So we're a sales readiness platform. So mm-hmm. at its core, what we help organizations, particularly sales organizations, do is define the ideal profile of their sales reps. What is the ideal rep profile that you want in market, and then develop. And build the knowledge and skill sets required for those sales reps to go and thrive and succeed in market. Yeah. Um, and so I think that you know typically, what really intrigued me about MindTickle was going back a little bit to my Oracle days. Um, just a brief story. <laughs> if you don't judge me. Um, I did one of these kind of old school enablement tours at Oracle where, when I was head of product marketing, right you. You kind of go to a lot of those dog and pony shows where, Mm. you know, you get up, you speak in front of thousands of sales reps. And I literally went New York, Amsterdam, Singapore, Sydney, all the way back to San Francisco. I get back to my office in San Francisco. And after putting out all that new messaging, I saw that a seller, uh, someone who had come over from our Eloqua acquisition was on a WebEx pitching a old Eloqua deck pre-Oracle acquisition <laughs> from years ago. And
3: I, a little bit of I walked
0: directly to his desk and he turned white like immediately. He was just like mortified. I think he thought I was just going to really let him have yeah. it. Yeah, And I said, I'm not mad. Okay. I just want to understand why, you know, you aren't using what we provided. He goes, Chris, What you provided is fantastic. Number one, I couldn't deliver it the way you do. And number two, I've made my number using this. Ah, yes. And so with Mindsickle, and this is really inherent in the name, the founders really understood that the driving, the behavior change and adaptation within your sales organization is as important as the content component that we put in front of them. And so a lot of what we do within the platform is find different ways to engage sellers, really weaving into what is a very busy schedule for them, right? So I think what we're seeing is that the traditional sales enablement program of certifications and completion metrics is a bit of a thing of the past. And it's really more about, hey, can we send them a question today? Like of your top four competitors, which two are the most similar to us in this context? Pick A, right. B, or C, or D. doesn't have to be complex, but leveraging some of those micro-learning techniques, we're finding that you can drive some of that behavior change, even in parallel with some of the bigger programs.
2: So it's a two-way thing then. You're, ca- you're capturing uh, data and insight from the salespeople and then sharing it amongst the team.
0: That's right. I yeah. think one of the things that I've been talking about is this notion of the science of sales or the mm. quantified seller. You remember back in like the early 2000s when like Fitbit and Apple watches and all that yeah. stuff was coming out. There was the notion of the quantified self. I want to know how many steps did I do today? Like, yeah. Oh look, I walked three miles and I've exceeded yeah. my activity quota for the day. Yeah. I think with sellers, what's been vastly missing is sort of. That exercise. You know, what are they doing? What is the work going in to becoming a great seller? Um, are they indexing really high on negotiation skills or messaging delivery? I think that sales is obviously the most measured function in a B2B company, but it's measured really largely from an outcome perspective. Yeah. Close won or lost. Did you how many marketing leads did you convert? You know, we just look at these very binary yes, no markers. And I think the data that we have available in our platform where it gets interesting is being able to quantify the skill sets and then minimally be able to correlate them to some of those outcomes. But I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think as we start thinking through how you can pull some of this data out, leverage AI. Yeah. All these other platforms in the world right now, like the Clary's, the People AI's. Um, the boost up AIs AI like I think yeah. putting data into those platforms as well, where you say, "Hey, it's not just about prediction based on previous revenue and business outcome numbers, but all of this contextual data that we know about our sales force."
2: That's amazing. So, so uh, and uh, as you say, I mean, sales is usually measured by a simple metric: you won or lost, you earned this amount of money or you didn't. So that's really interesting. And and is it? does it encompass the the fact that many salespeople have a different approach to success? And does it try and sort of understand what that is?
0: Yes, we want to understand what that is. That is this concept of the ideal rep profile. Um, Not only is that an object within our product, but I actually use it as a construct to have a lot of my customer conversations because you get ahead of sales enablement. A chief revenue or a chief sales officer in the room and you ask them what's the ideal rep profile, even at an organization that might pride themselves as being aligned on different Mm -hmm. things, you'll actually get a lot of different answers. (laughs) And for me, that's a really fascinating thing. But what I think we're also talking about here is moving beyond the cliches that have really contributed to the 80-20 rule. Yeah. 80 20 rule being that 20% of your sellers are closing 80% of the revenue. Yeah. And the reason that that has held as a construct, it's called the Pareto principle for so long, is that I, I think sales is used to playing that numbers game. Well, I'm just going to go, I know these people, I'll hire them in. Yeah. They'll help carry the load. But eventually, what ends up happening is, is you'll miss a month or you'll miss a quarter because mm. even your best people yeah. can have a bad. Go of it sometimes. So, what I think is important is moving beyond things like, oh, well, this person has the it factor or mm. this person has gravitas. It's like, yeah. what does that stuff even mean? And, <laughs> and I think that now that we're becoming a more modern workplace in parallel, I think we're all learning relative to diversity and inclusion and showing how powerful it is to grow your yeah. workforce with different ideas, different perspectives coming to the table. I think sales is very similar. I think yeah. you're going to find that in in certain organizations, you can index high in certain areas and still find a path to making your number. But gosh, I would love to know what that is if I was yeah. in management.
2: Yeah. So a couple of questions from that. One is, you know, the typical stereo uh, typical position um, statement that we make about sales is people buy from people. So how are we how are we understanding that through technology? And that the second thing is that struck me immediately was. We can't even get salespeople to fill in the CRM, so and that, and that helps them. How do you how do you get how how do you find engagement with the tool with the sales team?
0: Sure. So I'll take the latter question yeah. first. I think what we have found to be critical is a depth of what we call engagement mechanics, mm-hmm. different levers that you want to pull in order to find the right person yeah the second so what i mean by that is yes there's always going to be at a time and a place where you're going to do the maybe for compliance reasons the the much more traditional hey here's a module yeah. you need to show that you have actually consumed this yeah. take a quiz or a test before uh-huh. you can move on right there's always a our platform has that some of our competitor platforms have that there's always a need for that right
2: but i so think so it's that's part, part of Sorry, it's, it's part of the sort of HR function of being a sales guy at this organization is you're committing to the fact that you, that part of your success at that organization is to commit to this program.
0: Right. I think that yeah. it does have to be woven into your culture that yeah. the notion of getting proficient and getting sharp at all of these pieces is critical. Mm-hmm. What I would say is that in addition to that, you need to be able to leverage other types of engagement mechanics that make the sellers develop certain skill sets, even mm-hmm. when they're not overtly aware that that's what they're doing.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: An example of that is kind of the what I said earlier, right, of just yeah. pushing out different notifications in more smaller bits where yeah. they could be sitting on the subway Um, They could be sitting in in an Uber, whatever. And it's not that much of a thing relative to everything that we all do with our phones and screen time. Yeah, yeah. Just answer something quick and easy. And so one of the other things that we think is really critical is in between sort of the Big Bang programs, you do Mm -hmm. a lot of this micro learning. You do a lot of spaced reinforcement. So after they learn something in that, one of the questions you send out is something that is just reinforcing something. That mm-hmm. was already covered in a much larger context. So right. I think there's a little bit of a sleight of hand involved, quite honestly, mm-hmm. where you try to make them not be so overtly aware that mm-hmm. they're running through a training program. And if you do that, mm-hmm. then they don't feel like it is the a traditional training program. It's a more right. modern one uh, with those types of techniques.
2: Right, right, right. It sounds really interesting. And, um, and you've been there almost a year. So one of the things I was going to ask you about as well, your, your first 90 days as the CMO there is probably mm-hmm. still fresh in your mind. What advice do you give to new CMOs? And you've been through this a few times. You've been CMO at a number of, uh, of uh, large organizations. What's, what's your, what do you kick off with, without um, s- spoiling the experience that you had sure. at MindTickle or sharing too many secrets, but what's, what's your approach?
0: I think my approach is generally to bifurcate things happening around the department into two Mm -hmm. parallel paths. So one is, what are the immediate low-hanging fruit things that I know I can tap into, I know I can make impact on quickly, Mm -hmm. and where we can kind of show a quick win Mm -hmm. um, from a marketing perspective? The second piece is, on the other side of that, you have to look deeply at your infrastructure, your business processes, the team you yeah. have in place. Those things are harder and a longer burn to yeah. fix. And yeah. you know the CMO job, it's similar to a head of sales or chief revenue officer job in the sense yeah. that eventually time is your enemy. Yeah, right? I mean it's a people give always give product. Um, engineering, other functions, sort of a wider berth to figure a lot of things out. So you have to be cognizant of that, but you can't let it make you make knee-jerk decisions. (laughs) Right, right. So
2: So you got to balance the tactical with the strategic, right? So while you're throwing off these tactical wins and demonstrating value from that perspective, underneath there's actually some strategy going on that you can point to in sort of month 2 or day yeah, and 90 I'm or I'm maybe even to a share year
0: an example uh, yeah. in my first 90 days at MindTickle, yeah. right so one of the things like we talked about earlier i knew that i'm at the top of my game from a storytelling perspective at this stage in mm-hmm. my career mm-hmm. so i was very quickly able to go in and have my conversations with product engineering the sales yeah. team customers yeah. collect a lot of those data points do a lot of my market research yeah. Come back with, hey, here's a brand new vision and first call deck that we will operationalize across the organization to articulate what we mean by sales readiness and where we are differentiated, right? And the field facing stuff at a B2B company is nice because you can have quick impact when you're yeah. manifesting that stuff through PowerPoints and keynotes and demonstrations yeah. and some of those pieces. A longer burn, as an example, was, okay, now that we've built this messaging backbone in parallel, yeah. we now need our entire website to become a reflection of that. That yeah. takes more time to build. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. We launched that in December, uh, and we're really proud of it. But mm-hmm. it was a much bigger project, a lot Absolutely. more people involved. It's a, one of those projects that's high visibility. Everyone wants it yesterday. Yeah, But you have to kind of keep your head down and, and do it the right way. Yeah. Um, so that would be my advice to other CMOs in their first 90 days is find a couple things that, you know, can make immediate impact. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've talked to CMOs before who I think are so intellectually righteous about everything that they're just like, well, they'll have to wait. And, you know, uh, yeah, you can't, and I, and I just don't uh, think that ever really works effectively, yeah. but I do think it's fair on the flip side of that, not like you shouldn't roll over on everything either. And I think yeah. there are things where I've said to my boss and others, like, look, you're right. Yeah. We have to up our game in that area, but it's going to take time. Here's the resources that we'll need. Yeah, um, And you just have to kind of politely sort of talk about <laughs> where the patience needs to be
2: it's like a puzzle isn't it it's like figuring out a puzzle and you you know that the problem the squeaky wheels and all this kind of stuff and it's building a plan that you can demonstrate that will solve that and it may not be in the next 30 days it may be a little bit longer to do that but try and try and show that work right
0: particularly in b2b yeah, right? yeah. i mean i actually did a brief stint in consumer for a couple of years just because i yeah. wanted that experience to see what it would be like and yeah the difference with A direct to consumer business is like you can in marketing, you can see immediate impact really quickly Mm. because you you're putting campaigns and then you're transacting business directly, not through a salesperson. B2B, particularly in our case, you know, we a a big portion of our business is in the enterprise segment.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, their sales cycles are sales cycles. When you're going in and selling a product to Mm -hmm. a large enterprise organization, Mm -hmm. marketing's ability to start impacting that number is a bit Delayed, yeah, um, and so I, I think that's especially true in B
2: two B. Yeah, and it must. Uh, I think it must be interesting being a CMO of an organization like yours, where you're dealing with sales and you're selling a sales readiness platform. So yeah. you know, I on the one hand, I guess you've got all the tools, which is excellent, but on the other hand, it's like if I don't get this right, <laughs> then you know, with with all the tools, then then I'm in trouble. Um, I, I've just I've just realized the time. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and I also understand that. Uh, on the, the we were talking about empowering sales guys and working with sales guys that actually and and i like to talk about podcasts because we've got podcasts but you guys run a podcast and it's actually run by sales
0: yeah so we've recently or uh i believe it's coming out sequentially over the next uh, few months we'll, we'll keep releasing them it's called ready set sell mm-hmm. and um yeah we've been having people come on we've had one of our sellers um come on to talk through just challenges he sees in the market with sales we've brought in another consultant who's worked with us on with our business development rep group so a lot of inside sales uh background there yeah and really what we've found is um there's an interesting avenue there to hear things from the seller's perspective but i've also gone on to give marketing's perspective (laughs) yeah (laughs) so that'll be coming out pretty soon
2: yeah
0: so look out for that.
2: I will. And I'll include a link to it in, in the show notes as well, if, you, if you'll if send me a link. Uh, and then finally, the last question, uh, we have a regular feature on Rockstar CMO called the Rockstar CMO Swim Pool in tribute to all the rockstars stars that threw things in hotel swim pools, but it's our pool, so marketing health all the overhyped trends, BS and snake oil from this practice we love. What would you like to see chucked into our pool?
0: I think that account-based marketing should be chucked out <laughs> as a term and really just accepted as a best practice. But I think it's interesting that the whole marketing world for the lot, B2B marketing world for the last three to four years has suddenly thinking it's like a novel thing to point yes. out that you market to companies. Yes. Um, I think that is like the nature of B2B. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, and I, and I just really feel that it also doesn't mean that decades worth of marketing best practice that isn't necessarily completely related to contemporary changes or just things that we know to not work. Yeah. I don't think it's fair to say that all that stuff gets thrown out um, because we now have intent data that might tell us whether someone is in a warmer or hotter state to yeah. buy. Number one... I don't really entrust those intent models that much to be complete yeah. with you. I mean, yeah. I view them as guidance, but again, having done my stint in consumer marketing, you, you really get your PhD in, um, mm-hmm. audience data. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you learn a lot, which is yeah. to say that like, yes, you need to, in your targeting, have some perspective on who you want to be reaching and what are the yeah. attributes of that. But I still don't think it's possible, particularly with companies that are becoming complex, combined with the fact that, you know, now that a lot more people are working remotely, some yes. of that data is collected. Yeah. So I still think there's this thing called inbound marketing that matters a lot. And, yeah. um, and, and it matters even in some of the more outbound motions that mm-hmm. you do. So I think that um, we need to... Not just try to keep changing the goalposts in B two B game, and that's what yeah. I kind of feel like the ABM fervor has done. It's been sort yeah. of like this sleight of hand of going, oh, we'll go from MQLs to MQAs, and it, yeah. and it's just let's we yeah. didn't like we weren't doing well with this vanity metric, so let's just reset the yeah. goal and do another one. Yeah.
2: Something yeah, okay. we it's, it's something we often discuss on the show the fact that you know what's old is new again like the <laughs> yeah. conversation that I have with uh, with Jeff Clark who's also on the show um, just before this segment and uh, and and we we've discussed account based marketing it's like that's what we've always done in B2B but now we have these tools and this very narrow definition and that's and we see that so often don't we with us as marketers we're like oh shiny thing let's call it a thing and it's really a best practice so that's an excellent candidate for the rockstar cmo simple thank you very much chris and when cool. the listeners spin the dial on the interwebs where are they going to find you
0: oh uh mindtickle.com come and find us there and uh-huh. then uh and we, you, we have, have tons to... of great content on there whether you're in sales or a marketer in particular we have a lot of great content for marketers that are looking to improve their relationship with sales cool and you chris where they find you
2: linkedin twitter linkedin's the
0: best spot these days i mean i used to have a blog and website and all that stuff but who can keep that up
2: <laughs> i love it mate all right well i'll include links to those in the show notes as well i look forward to speaking to you again chris thanks very much for your time thanks ian Thank you, Chris. I enjoyed that. An interesting platform, a great topic, and yet another vote for ABM to make a splash in the Rockstar CMO swimming pool. I will, of course, include all of Chris's links in the show notes that you can find on rockstarcmo.fm. Right, time to wind down for the week. And we're better than the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, chief troublemaker at the content advisory, once described as a likeable Mark Ritson, Robert Rose, to be transported away with a cocktail and a marketing
3: court.
4: Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. It's good to see you in the bar. I, you know, it's noisy. Here.
3: It's crazy busy.
4: <laughs> crazy busy. I, you know, is that, is that somebody with a leaf blower? An elite, a, a leaf blower? What is a leaf blower? We're doing in the in the bar. It is, it's madness, it crazy, annoying. Um, you know. Oh, good. It seems that they're they're moving on now. I didn't know you had <laughs> gardens and lawns here. <laughs> anyway,
2: but that, uh, that, it's that kind of bar. Anything goes. We've had mariachi yeah. bands. We've had it is, gorillas. It is
4: a big open bar here. Um, you know. So we have a wonderful drink this week. Um, sort of, uh, coming off of net last week, um, it is still yes. warm here, uh, in right. Southern California. And so I have missed my trips to, uh, Asia. Um, Ooh. and I used to get to Singapore at least once every year.
2: Yeah.
4: And, um, and of course I got to, uh, you know, Japan, I've gotten to, uh, um, uh, uh, I've gotten to, 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 Beijing. It's been a very long time since I've been to China, but, mm-hmm. um, certainly Hong Kong, um, and other places um, in uh, in and around Asia. And and I missed a, what I realized was that I haven't had a Mai Tai in a long time. Uh, now, um, one of the things that I decided to try and that we're going to try this evening is, uh, you know, a, a, a little fun thing that we're calling, instead of a Mai Tai, it's a Mai Tequila. Uh,
2: <laughs> I see what you did
4: I'm not a fan of rum as uh-huh. you know as as we heard last uh, in the last episode yeah. you know I, I changed up the mojito into a mm-hmm. into something that wasn't about rum um, yep. but this week we are going to replace the rum again um, because uh, I just don't um, I mean, Mai Tais are lovely, by the way. I love a good Mai Tai, but you know, with rum. Yeah. But we're going to change it up, and so what we have here is a Mai Tequila, which is a your favorite, and, and this time you do use a Reposado Tequila, um, mm-hmm. something that has, and, and and one of the best ways to do this is to look for some of the infused uh, tequilas, some of them with a very vanilla e taste. So you can go with a Reposado or something like that. There's a particular brand of tequila called Classe Azul, which is not my favorite to have on its own. But mm-hmm. as a reposado with a heavy vanilla taste, it makes a great addition to a my tequila here. Mm-hmm. So you take that and then we mix, of course, the classic pineapple juice, um, three mm-hmm. parts pineapple juice to two parts orange juice. Um, and again, the Mai Tai normally calls for a little bit of grenadine or Or syrup I don't use that if you're into that go do that um but basically so you have basically three parts tequila three parts (laughs) pineapple juice two (laughs) parts orange juice uh and then of course over ice and you know I mean if you're gonna have a proper my tequila or my tie you're gonna big Mm -hmm. ass umbrella in there and um and then sip that as you sit out on a porch somewhere a Nice, right? I'm going to attempt to replicate that, and I, I think it's
2: uh, it's crazy that you uh, decide to swap alcohols in your drinks and your cocktails, Robert. I mean, who would do that? It yeah. just talk. Absolutely, um, I mean, you have to stay faithful to the recipe. <laughs> so I'm going to. Um, I'm also going to go with a, um, a a very light. No, you went with a reposado, didn't you? So I think the most English of reposado tequilas. Some Hendrix gin. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> indeed. I'm still enjoying this joke. So, bit of gin, lovely jubbly. and uh, you added pineapple juice. What else was it?
4: Uh, well, we have uh, pineapple juice, of course, mm-hmm. um, and then orange juice. Okay. Yeah. I have. And then again, if you're if you're into the you know, if you're into the grenadine, you do the grenadine. But I'm not, so.
2: Okay well I am well I'm very into those things as an international cocktail drinker but for now I've I've trusted the folks at Fever Tree to pull together a number of ingredients for uh, that are very similar to what you've just described they're called cucumber tonic water I'm not sure if you're Ah uh,
4: yes yes mm. <laughs> the most English are pineapples really I mean if you think about it
2: <laughs> Yeah a cucumber actually a cucumber that that, that is a great analogy I think mean, if you think yeah. of a pineapple as, like, as South American fruit,
4: then definitely yeah, the, cube, it's the exactly. <laughs> cucumber. exactly. Cucumber is the most English fruit, right?
2: <laughs> exactly.
4: You put sandwiches right. together with them, yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm going to try this. Mmm. That is delicious, Robert. Very refreshing. I could drink one of these every single week. I and,
4: suspect you could. Yeah. Yes.
2: I, I do my best. And um, where are we going to be sipping these wonderful cocktails?
4: Well, you know, again, it feels like with this kind of drink, we need to be somewhere warm and uh, mm-hmm. on a beach. And, and, um, and my, again, falling off of last week where we went and, and spent a little time in Brazil, I mm-hmm. felt like we needed a little more time at the beach. Um, and another place that my wife has been, but I have not been, uh, is Fiji. And Oh, Wow. I would really love to get to Fiji and and she brought back all these pictures from her trip to Fiji with a friend and yeah. I was very jealous and so yes. I think now to sort of sport that jealousy we 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 have to make our way there and Mm. again probably probably not on the beach sipping these cocktails it, this feels more like we're sitting on the porch or a bar or yeah. something like that and there's a little bit of music no leaf blowers of, of, of course but, <laughs> but but um but sitting in a bar somewhere in fiji watching the water lap up and do those kinds of things
2: <laughs> yeah sorry about those leaf blowers uh yeah i don't i get i, I wouldn't have thought the leaf blowing was uh was going to be in the ambiance of where we are from a from in a uh, in Fiji but what? um uh, so how, how does that work with you with you and your wife then that you've been to these these different places because uh, you've been just about everywhere I mean has she got many places on you
4: I she has no she does not travel well I neither of us travel very much these days but uh-huh. the um she travels uh differently than I do typically, um, mm-hmm. cause she's going on fun vacation type yeah, trips and I'm yeah, going, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. speak in Detroit or somewhere like that, you know? <laughs> That's true. Um, you know, or Florida, which is even worse. Um, you know, apologies to those in Florida. No, not yeah. really. Hashtag, sorry, not sorry. Um,
2: <laughs> or big up the guys in Detroit.
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, Detroit's fine. Actually, I, You know, the funny thing is, is that I prefer Detroit to Florida. Um, yeah but uh yeah it's um she she travels quite a bit not quite a bit and and again none of us traveled this much these days but in the past she was she was going with friends to on trips or you know those kinds of things
2: yeah, I've got the same here. And um, my, my wife did, has, hasn't done much business travel, but uh, there was a few years where she went to San Francisco and I hadn't been.
3: <laughs> and then,
2: yeah, and then I got to go quite a lot. <laughs> so that was that was that that was that ticked off. So while we are um, aside from discussing um, the different places we've travelled without our wives, um, what what would we be discussing on this trip, mate?
4: Well. Have you ever heard of the term a wicked problem? Well,
2: it sounds like it sounds like many of my
4: uh, many of the jobs yeah. I've done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's actually a term, and it's not just like a Boston wow. thing either. Like you know, it's yeah. it's uh, it's called a wicked problem, and it's defined as a problem that is really difficult to solve because of either incomplete, contradictory, or changing requirements that can be really (laughs) hard to recognize. Um, And, you know, and and then there's, 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 there's there's another um, one, uh, another definition that I really like actually from a, a, an information researcher named Jeff Conklin, who Mm -hmm. says it's basically a problem that you cannot recognize until there's a solution for it. And that really fascinated me because that's content strategy in a nutshell, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I'll give you an example of this, right? So a wicked problem is, so my wife and I, we get about our kitchen, right? We, you know, and we get about our kitchen just fine. We cook, Mm -hmm. the kitchen gets messy, we clean it up, put things back where they go, and we do the same thing at the next minute. It's a repeating process, right? It works fine Mm -hmm. for us. So, but recently we had this friend come over Who wanted to cook dinner and um, and was going to cook dinner with us. And it was chaos, right? Nothing was (laughs) in the right place. You know, our guest was basically going to the junk drawer looking for silverware. She Mm -hmm. opened up the spice cabinet looking for plates. And she was like, don't even get me started with how your refrigerator is completely disorganized. She, (laughs) She was telling us. And of course, we were defensive about the whole thing. We were like, this is how we do things. This is how we've been doing it for years. It works for us. And then I was like, this is our governance process, right? You know, yeah. this is our optimized process. And she was like, no, this may be the way you do it, but it's not optimized. Um, and as she started to point out where things could be more efficient or more, you know, mm-hmm. more optimal, um, we realized that there was a thing there. That's a wicked problem, right? You know, you can't yeah. really see it until somebody points out a solution to you. Yeah. And interestingly in content strategy one of the things that you know certainly at CMI we point out and certainly we've seen in other places is that this idea of documentation right is at mm-hmm. the core right so but then you go wait a minute really is it about creating a Google Doc or a PowerPoint that's going to be the linchpin of our organized content strategy and it's like no spoiler alert the document doesn't matter the actual yeah. document isn't important what the documentation means is that it assumes that you've thought through all the Mm. details of who's responsible for what, how content works, where the optimal governance thing is. It basically, it's sort of the talisman for how you've thought through everything. And because if you've thought through everything and you've written it down, there's your document. Mm. And the interesting thing to me about all of that is how many times we see these wicked problems in this idea of, of a content strategy. So as an example of this, You know, we've worked with a client not too long ago um, where basically the senior leaders, you know, when we presented sort of the new, you know, the, 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 the new person there was the person who hired us. And... We presented all of our findings, you know, sort of here's where the problems are. Basically, here's where your challenges are in in this, you know, your content governance mm. and strategy program. And all the new people were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. They loved it. Right. They were like, this is, <laughs> this is exactly what we're looking for. And senior management and the people who'd been there for more than five years were all like, hmm. I don't get it. We don't don't even (laughs) see the problem, right? Yeah. And that's the wicked problem, right? So we get this question a lot from CEOs, from CFOs, from CMOs that are looking at this problem of content strategy. And the question we often get is like, well, tell me what the benefit is of fixing a problem that I don't recognize, right? (laughs) In other words, I, I don't see this as a problem. Tell me what the benefit of fixing it is. And the answer has to be, Before you've done the work, before you've actually started to point out the solution, we don't know, right? There is no good answer for that. There is no, you know, you can't, if they can't see the problem, you cannot tell them what the benefit of fixing it is because Mm -hmm. you don't know what the benefit of fixing it is. Now, if you hunt it down. You can start looking at, and there's another term here that I've just learned, and I think it's it, it's my favorite part of actually doing any sort of content strategy engagement with a company. It's called a current behavior, um, O-C-C-U-R-R-E-N-T, a current behavior, mm-hmm. and what it means is is like how things really happen versus how they're perceived or should happen. Right. In other words, to bring it to my kitchen metaphor, there's how me and my wife really make food, and then there's how it you know, we have in our heads about how it goes, right? You know, and this is the classic, right? You know, if you're hiring an employee, you know, and the employee's first day on the job and you go, look, the HR manual says, you got to fill out this form and send this email to this department to get an answer. It's like, no, 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 don't do any of that. You just email Jane and Jane will get you the answer in like 10 (laughs) minutes. Right. So there's how things really happen and how things should happen. And with content strategy, this is exactly the problem. Mm -hmm. And, and so one of the ways to think about fixing this is to go through and find all of that current behavior with the people that you're you know dealing with in yeah. maybe one part of the buyer's journey or one department or one group. And start to identify all of these things like, you know, like my friend went through my kitchen and start to identify this is where it could be better. This is what could be better. So in other words, it's about pointing out solutions to problems that illuminate the problem for the people that don't see it. And that's the only way to do this. And it's a, it's a challenging thing. It's not, it's not easy Mm. because they're not wrong to not recognize the problem. You have to actually solve it actually before they see it. And I know that's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing because if they don't realize they have a problem, why are they going to hire you to solve it? Well, Mm -hmm. you got to sort of look and and sort of look for the problems before you can actually see them. And it's a really interesting phenomenon in content strategy, I find.
2: Yeah. And um, um, the tough part of that is in other disciplines, then that would be part of discovery, wouldn't it? That would be um, I don't know if you're optimizing your supply chain for example everybody knows their supply chain needs to be optimized and you would go in and do your discovery you'd find where all the bits are that are, they're all wonky and then and then and then make a recommendation on where they need to be fixed but so people don't think about content production in that same way as a supply chain that your organization is actually a publisher and and that kind of stuff so I think sometimes we start those conversations with an assumption that people understand those things and they don't do that.
4: No, that's right. That's the other challenge of course is that yeah. you know, you have this this level of complexity over mm-hmm. subject matter expertise where, you know, and content unfortunately is 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 one of those things where you know, as as we often say, content there, you know, 90% of content strategy has nothing to do with writing down words or making pictures, right? It yeah. it, it you know, most of content strategy is around communication. And mm you know and so it's communicating with each other about how things are getting built and that is a in a in a in a big business and a small business and a medium sized business that can be a complex process yeah. and so understanding that level of expertise of how the business can actually communicate more effectively with each other is at the heart of a content strategy and it's really hard in some cases for you know st- senior level leadership who don't have any training or knowledge or experience in that to recognize that. But of course, what you're talking about is something that everybody feels they should have an experience in, right? In other words, for years, since we've entered the job market as professionals, (laughs) Mm -hmm. we've been told that communicating clearly and creating great content, you know, must be able to write well, must be able to Mm -hmm. communicate well is sort of a Mm -hmm. precursor to any job and certainly the precursor to any leadership job. So there's Mm -hmm. this sort of feeling at the senior leadership level, like they should understand it. And in some cases they actually pretend like they do, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but there is no problem with it because it is actually is a very complex thing. It's a hard thing to, to Mm -hmm. figure out. And so it's helping them recognize that they actually don't know what they don't know That Mm -hmm. can be one of the most illuminating things about fixing something that they don't see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit like, you know, it's a little bit, it's not unlike, you know, I bring my car in now, you know, when my, when my dad had a car, right. Yeah you know, he could, he could like literally walk me through the engine of a 1965, you know, Mustang or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, basically, and, and, and basically point out through the engine about how it all worked and what happens when you turn over the ignition and how that fires this and what the, you know, what, what all these things do and you sort of get it right. You can sort of pull it all apart. I never got a PS by the way, but but he could, he could do it. Like he could pull apart an engine and then build it build it back together yeah. again and it was all great but today you know you look at an engine in a car and you know yeah. the 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 framter sensor in the computer <laughs> modulator and the you know it could be could be down and there is no mechanism for that you have to be a computer scientist to be able to understand yeah. that and so it's a very yeah. different idea of what complexity means Mm -hmm. in today's world and in today's digital business than it was then and and we just have to recognize that it's that it's okay that that's okay
2: Mm -hmm. yeah no i love that story and and it's a great analogy and um it is that interesting thing that where you're in an audience, where, where you're with a group like that, where you said, where well, half of people got it—the fresh people and the older people, and the, the people that had been in the business for a while—are thinking, you know, why? Why do I need to change where the mugs are? You know what I mean? In the kitchen, and um, and I loved your, your kitchen story because, um, I, uh, I, I, and I say mugs because one of the things that annoys me about our kitchen is the mugs are not above the kettle. Now that's where they should be. <laughs> but my wife yeah, doesn't right, exactly. put them there. my wife doesn't put yeah. them there. but that's just the way we operate and that seems to be quite seamless. so i, I like both of those analogies. well that's fantastic. thank you very much robert and um i'll get this question right this week. um if we are looking on the internet for thoughts like this written by you and directed by you and curated by you where are we going to find those? <laughs>
4: well you know you'd probably find it at our little hovel on the website you know our little kitchen as it were
3: um, <laughs>
4: organized in just the way we like it um, our own wicked little problem called mm-hmm. uh, contentadvisory.net.
2: splendid and when people spin the dial on the interwebs and they're not on tiktok where are they going to find you
4: i've been spending a lot of time on linkedin lately so um mm-hmm. would love to connect with people on linkedin but um, of course linkedin and twitter are, are always great places
2: splendid and of course you have your podcast this old marketing which i love to promote every time we. Um,
4: marketing yep it's a wonderful little uh yeah. couple of chuckleheads myself and my friend joe polizzi um yeah. chatting about the the week's news arguing about nfts you know Absolutely. all that kind of stuff yes
2: well splendid and uh will you be in the bar next week
4: more importantly you will indeed
2: <laughs> i look forward to it thank you very much robert i'll see you next week cheers Thank you, Robert, for bringing us a wicked problem there. And I don't just mean testing my podcast editing skills. So that's a wrap on episode 102 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Chris and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello, follow their work and check out all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm. You can also find all our previous episodes. So does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Please let us know and help other people find whatever this is by dropping a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff and I will focus on the first F in fundamental. I chat with Stefan Hedbrunt, co founder of DreamData.io, and Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week, and I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM.